Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Oh, hi. Hello, you wonderful listeners. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm your host and every other title imaginable, Liv. Well, we're continuing on with our regularly scheduled programming. I did want to say, though, that I am still planning on doing something special for Pride. It's just going to come out, well, at some random point during the year that isn't directly connected to Pride, but such is life, my friends. I'm doing the best I can these days. The best is still very, very tired and overwhelmed by the sheer volume of stuff I have to do in a given week, day, month, Anyway, a reminder about the Q&A episode later this month, marking the podcast's three-year anniversary. Please send in your questions via email, mythsbaby at gmail.com, so that I actually see them, because I'm sorry I love you all, but my Instagram DMs are completely unmanageable, and I'll try to answer your questions in the episode, and sign your name if you want credit, too. And with that, we're continuing on with Theseus, kind of. Where did we last leave the story? Well, last week, that man, the Greek scald a hero, finally reached the point in the story that he's most famous for. He defeated the Minotaur in the labyrinth in Knossos with the vital help of our girl Ariadne. Oh, how important she was to Theseus's success and his not dying at all. Couldn't have done it without her. Owes her everything. So what did Theseus do to thank Ariadne, the young woman who simply wanted to leave her home in Knossos where things were pretty weird with her family and she wasn't feeling particularly fulfilled? The woman Theseus told he loved her, that he would be with her always? Well, obviously when they stopped for a night on the empty island of Naxos, he left her behind, completely abandoned her alone on an island while she was sleeping. And then, of course, he continued on home, where he proved himself to be an even bigger shithead. He left on the black sails of his ship, 
forgetting the promise he had made to his father, who saw the black sails, assumed Theseus had died in the labyrinth, and killed himself. Theseus is truly human garbage. But we're going to leave that human garbage behind for an episode, instead focusing a bit on the woman he abandoned on an island, and a bit more on who she encounters, because even though it was really horrible in the moment, the abandonment definitely led to bigger and better things for our girl, Ariadne. Today's episode is dedicated to Jen McMenemy of Ancient History Fangirl. This is episode 83, Moving On Up, Ariadne and the Adventures of Her God of Wine, Dionysus. There are pirates! Now, as much as I want this episode to be exclusively about the relationship of Ariadne and Dionysus, it's not in the cards. Their relationship, while important, is lacking in detail. Instead, I will also regale you with the most magnificent story of Dionysus, a god who's seen a lot of shit in the most enjoyable way possible. Ugh, Dionysus. You nerds probably don't need a refresher on who Dionysus is, but I don't believe I've talked about him enough, so I'm gonna give you one anyway. Dionysus is a fascinating god. He's youthful, unique, and often portrayed as gender fluid. I suspect he'd still use the he-him pronouns due to his status as a god and the somewhat binary way the Greeks understood such things, so I will too, but know that he lived a free lifestyle where he absolutely got to live his best life, let his queer flag fly, and had a lot of fun with his gender expression. He was clearly one of the best gods, certainly one of the most progressive. Dionysus was born of the mortal woman, Semele. This in itself is a fascinating quality of his. I covered the story oh so briefly in one of my earliest episodes on the women ruined by Zeus. One day, though, I do intend to go into more detail on the women affected, for good or bad, by the gods. Semele was the daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia, my favorite mythological couple, and so she has a special place in my heart. She, it seems likely, actually loved Zeus and had sex with him quite consensually. She was, however, still absolutely destroyed by her association with him. TLDR, Hera found out about their affair and sought to punish Semele. She appeared to her in disguise as an elderly woman. That woman convinced Semele that it likely wasn't actually the god Zeus who so recently impregnated her in one of their late night visits, that it was actually just probably a man who'd found himself more successful with women if he told them he was a god. Gross. Semele so believed this woman that she insisted Zeus appear to her in the same form that he appeared to his wife when they were together. She wanted proof she wasn't being lied to. Zeus apparently couldn't bring himself to lie to the poor woman or simply tell her no, and so he did appear to her just as he does to his wife. He appeared to Semele in his full godly form, lightning and everything, and she was hit by a lightning bolt. Semele died, but Zeus was able to save their baby from the same fate. He removed the baby Dionysus from his mother and sewed him into his own thigh, where Dionysus was able to fully gestate and was later born to Zeus. 
This sometimes puts Dionysus under the category of children born to Zeus and Zeus alone, the same nonsense sometimes placed upon Athena. Of course, both god children absolutely had mothers who contributed at least half to their existence and awesomeness. Zeus just killed both of them and so took all the credit. In truth, Dionysus is absolutely the child of the king of the gods and a mortal woman of Thebes. Semele's mother was a goddess, Harmonia, but she was a goddess who lived as a human and it doesn't appear that any divinity was passed down to her children. This makes Dionysus the one and only Olympian with a mortal parent and one of the only major gods with the same. Dionysus is also ancient, far more ancient than most of the gods in the ancient Greek pantheon. His name is found in writing as far back as Linear A and Linear B tablets. Simultaneously, it was believed in the mythology that Dionysus was a new god, a god who appeared from the east, bringing with him odd habits and traditions. This was how they framed his main ads, his bacchants, and their bacchanalias. Some of the Greeks wanted to believe that such madness, such drunken revelry and violence, mustn't have come from their own world. Instead, it must have been something that was imported from elsewhere. Ah, xenophobia. In truth, it's a little of both. Dionysus is from the East, and Dionysus is very ancient on the Greek mainland. They just shared him in sort of a very interesting way that I haven't dove too deeply into. Still, Dionysus was one of the most important gods of their whole world. He was a god of the people, a god of wine, of theater, of revelry. Dionysus was the fun god, the party god, the god of good times. Dionysus was the god people could really identify with. Dionysus likes wine? I like wine! Dionysus likes theater? I like theater! We're two peas in a pod! This is how I personally see Dionysus, but it's also how the regular people of ancient Greeks would have seen him. He was, in essence, the best. Sure, there were more important gods when it came to who to worship and when. There were more important gods when it came to who to fear. But if we're talking overall appreciation, awesome gods of good times, we're talking Dionysus. It's Dionysus, the good times god, who appears to Ariadne as she sits alone, heartbroken, on the island of Naxos. So recently abandoned by a man who'd pledged himself to her, who told her he would take her away with him to Athens, take her away from her crazy, bull-obsessed family. And Dionysus appeared just in time, too because Ariadne was considering the ways in which she could end her own suffering, there, alone, on an island. According to other myths, she did exactly this. Some versions name her, her sister Phaedra, and her mother Pasiphae, all as having hung themselves. It's horrifying and dark, and definitely not the preferable version of the story when the alternative is a badass, super sexy god showing up to sweep her off her feet. Dionysus appears to Ariadne on the island of Naxos, and, we're told in most sources, the pair fell in love right away. What a concept, right? Actual romantic love in Greek mythology. Be still my beating heart. 
Their romance is brief. Dionysus is a god, so what does he need to wait for? He loves a woman, she loves him back. There's no point to courtship, not in the stories of mythology. So they marry. Dionysus, this god with a mortal mother, marries a mortal herself. Truly a man of the people. Dionysus' gift to his new wife, Ariadne, is a crown. He was making her a queen in her own right, and he would soon make her a goddess to his god. Eventually, that same crown was placed amongst the stars as the constellation Corona, a name with a little less beautiful of a connotation given the current climate. There's an amazing quote from Ovid's work, The Fasti, that is used on the Theoi website. The translator they note is named Boyle. Ariadne, quote, gave that ingrate the winding thread of the labyrinth and gladly swapped her perjured husband for Bacchus. Pleased with her marital fate, she asked, why did I sob like a country girl? His lies were my gain. An incredible way of describing what Theseus did, how Ariadne came out the better of them, and just how exciting it was. We have to love Ovid. What a guy. But before Dionysus met Ariadne and gave her the famous crown, before he made her a goddess and brought her to live with him on Mount Olympus among the Olympians themselves, before Ariadne left her home with Theseus, Dionysus had seen some things. He'd had an adventurous life, to say the absolute least. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The story of Dionysus, his most exciting and entertaining story, comes from the Homeric hymn to Dionysus, and this makes it old as fuck. Earlier in Dionysus's life, though it's not clear how much earlier, given the lack of any kind of chronology across Greek mythology, it's just before he met his wife, Ariadne, Dionysus was standing by the sea. It's always said that he was near Naxos, so Perhaps it wants to correspond to him later coming across Ariadne? The number of variations and details of this story that exist, my god. Dionysus stood at the edge of the sea, a vision of a god. He had luscious, dark hair, his eyes were dark and intense, he wore purple robes draped over his muscular, godly self. Purple's an important color, a royal color. Dionysus stood on the edge of that sea, and he was spotted from that same sea. A ship of pirates wasn't far offshore, and they saw Dionysus. They saw a man they couldn't have known was a god. No, he simply looked rich. That's what the pirates wanted. They are pirates, after all. Pirates of the Tyrrhenian Sea, the sea off the west of Italy. The Tyrrhenian pirates spotted this rich-looking man standing so close to the shore, and before Dionysus could do anything, they landed and bundled him off, kidnapping the god of wine and revelry and bringing him upon their ship quite unceremoniously. Yes, Dionysus was kidnapped by pirates. But still... He was the god Dionysus. The pirates got Dionysus on their ship and immediately worked to tie him up with ropes and intricate knots. Intricate knots that, of course, the pirates were used to having great success with. They weren't amateur pirates. These were experienced dudes. They tried to tie Dionysus up, but as soon as they'd secured the knots, the rope simply fell off him. The knots came undone, all of their own accord, falling to the deck of the ship, almost like magic. Almost like they'd kidnapped an Olympian god. As the ropes fell around Dionysus, he simply looked on at the pirates, a smile plastered across his face. He was proud of himself. He knew how they must have been panicking, and he was really quite amused by the whole situation. Imagine mortals kidnapping a god. This is when one of the other pirates realized what was going on. He was at the helm of the ship, so he wasn't involved in the kidnapping of Dionysus in the first place. Immediately, this helmsman realizes that this is no man. He is a god. He calls to his fellow pirates, saying exactly that. He wonders aloud which god this man could be. Is it Zeus himself, or perhaps Apollo, maybe Poseidon? Release him, he calls to his pals. Put him back on shore this moment and try not to anger him any further. Who knows what he could do to us if we anger him, this very smart pirate announces. It's unclear how he figures the god isn't already pretty angry with being bundled onto a ship in a full-blown attempted kidnapping. 
But the captain of this ship disagrees with this very, very smart helmsman. He orders the rest of the pirates not to return Dionysus, a god, to land and instead to continue on. He believes that the god they'd kidnapped must have been headed to Egypt or Cyprus and that eventually he'll just give in to them and reveal where all his wealth and all his family's wealth is for them to steal. This was not a good idea. So the pirates don't release Dionysus. They choose not to listen to this very smart man on board who clearly recognizes that they've kidnapped a god rather than a regular old wealthy human, eat the rich, and that it wasn't going to go particularly well for them. Instead, the captain orders that they hoist the sail and away they go. They head farther out to sea, farther away from the land they'd taken Dionysus from, it quickly fades into the distance. It's not long into their journey before very, very odd happenings begin to occur on the ship. It doesn't begin subtly, either. Deep red wine begins to run through the deck of the ship, appearing out of nowhere and inundating the men. The smell is intoxicating. Literally. The men are, not surprisingly, taken aback by what's occurring on the ship. It really is like magic. Next, vines sprout from the ship's deck and begin winding quickly around the masts and the rest of the ship, growing it once again in almost magical speed. Flowers sprout from the leafy, bright green vines and then Deep red berries. Finally, finally, this is when the captain determines that, okay, maybe the helmsman was right and they shouldn't have kidnapped this god. He orders the ship to turn around and head back toward the shore before the god can do anything more to the pirates or their ship. But it's too late. Dionysus is angry. He transforms himself into a lion right there on the deck of the ship, and at the opposite end, he creates a bear from thin air. A bear. The men run from the bear, not knowing there's a lion at the other end. They all run to the helmsman, who was feeling pretty proud of himself for his original decision-making. Even if they hadn't listened, and even if he too was being threatened by, well, a bear and a lion on board a ship in the middle of the sea. Dionysus, as a lion, springs upon the captain as the men gather round this helmsman. The rest of them see this and they know they have only one option. They leap overboard, each one of them jumping into the sea. A far less horrific fate than being devoured by a lion or a bear on your own ship. Once they hit the water, Dionysus transforms them into dolphins and forever takes them on as his own symbols. The helmsman, though, didn't have the chance to jump overboard. But it's okay, because Dionysus recognizes him as the one who made the right call in the first place, even if he wasn't listened to. 
Dionysus announces to the helmsman, presumably now back in a human shape and not as a talking lion, that he needn't worry, that the god will take pity on him and allow him to live. Then, Dionysus, in all his glory with his luscious locks and berries in his hair, announces himself, telling the man that he is none other than the god Dionysus, the god of wine, of theater, of revelry, of partying, the son of Zeus and Semele, the grandson of the hero Cadmus and the goddess Harmonia. He stands before this helmsman in all his godliness, his impressive badassery. It's really very breathtaking. That was all according to the Homeric hymn to Dionysus, but there are some interesting and fun variations on the story. Apollodorus, for instance, says that Dionysus in fact hired the pirates to take him from Naxos to Icaria, but that they'd betrayed him and tried to continue on to Asia, intent on kidnapping him for his wealth. This, Apollodorus says, is when he begins to transform the ship. Other sources note that the pirates actually took issue with Dionysus's effeminate presentation, and that that is partially why they may have taken him. I like to imagine they learned their lesson there. Yet another entertaining alternative is found in Hyenas' work on astronomy and the constellations. That version has the pirates bringing Dionysus to Naxos as a child, and once more preparing to take him off course and kidnap him. Dionysus knows their intention and distracts them by singing. The pirates are so taken by this child god singing that they get caught up in their dancing and they throw themselves overboard and once more are transformed into dolphins. One of them, according to Hyannis, is later placed in the sky as the constellation Delphinus. My man Ovid, meanwhile in Metamorphoses, places Dionysus' time with the pirates as taking place right before he arrives back in Thebes. You remember that story. A man named Pentheus is torn into pieces by his own mother who carries his head back to town with pride, thinking she's killed a lion. There's a two-part episode on it from the end of last year. Highly recommend. According to Ovid, Pentheus, king of Thebes, before being torn apart, is brought news that Dionysus has arrived in Thebes, that this man, who's purporting to be both a god and the son of Semele and Zeus, Semele, of course, is Pentheus's own aunt. Pentheus is furious at this news, it's affecting his city, but he also just doesn't want to believe in this so-called new god. Of course, he's not new at all, like I told you. But in this story, he's presented as being new, fresh, and foreign, and therefore concerning. Pentheus's men bring him news of Dionysus's arrival. With him, they bring one of the pirates, the only man they've captured throughout this still mysterious ordeal. This pirate, Achates, tells his story. It begins much the same as the earlier. Dionysus hired the pirates rather than was kidnapped. But of course, from there, this is Ovid, which is why I'm sharing it with you to begin with. Because according to Ovid, Dionysus is far, far more showy in his reveal of himself as a god to these pirates. 
He appears to the men with garlands of grapevines in his hair, everything you want the god of wine to look like and more. With him, he not only has a bear, nor does he simply turn himself into a lion. Nope. He's got tigers and lynxes, spotted panthers, and all are phantoms too, but no less deadly than if they were real. Simply easier for a god to bring along for the ride or spring upon those who try to cheat him. He accuses the pirates of not bringing him where he paid them to go. The shore we approach is not the shore I asked for, he says calmly and clearly before transforming himself into a god and bringing forth his big cat army. This is when Dionysus begins to transform all of the men on the ship all but one, that is, into dolphins, and they leap from the ship and into the sea. The one man left, this man, Achates, who's telling Pentheus this story, he says, not to worry, to the one man left, this man, Achates, who's telling Pentheus the story to begin with, Dionysus says, not to worry that he's being saved. Dionysus instructs Achates to sail on to Naxos, as Dionysus paid the pirates to do. From there, Achates tells Pentheus and the other Thebans that he joined in on the Bacchic rites all of his own accord, that he became one of their group. This is how Pentheus is introduced to the idea of Dionysus, according to Ovid. It adds another level of intrigue and horror to the character who's arrived in Thebes unexpectedly. This stranger claiming all these relations to the city and its king, in addition to being a god of mania and drunkenness. Anyway, frankly, I didn't intend to go into this full-blown divergence into Ovid's interpretation, but he was a tiger king and had a big cat army, so in the end it had to be shared. Dionysus and the pirates, you guys. What a fucking story. And one that spanned generations. So for context, the Homeric hymn where this is first told and the version I told you in detail is from somewhere between the 7th and 4th centuries BCE. Whereas Ovid and even later Roman era writers were also talking about these adventures with pirates. Fucking love it. But again, I digress. Dionysus's adventures aren't finished, but they are for another episode. Oh, you magnificent nerds. Thank you all for listening. As always, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It helps me immensely, and I live to read your awesome reviews. It's been a minute, so let me mention again that I have a Patreon, too. You can find it on Patreon or on my website, mythsbaby.com, and there you could have access to a number of bonus episodes that have been released over the years. There are lots of different tiers, so you can find the right one for you. Please remember to submit a question to the Q&A if you've got one and stay tuned for Friday's reading of the Iliad. You're all the best. I can't believe I've gotten to do this for three years. It's the coolest thing in the world, even if I'm very tired. Stay safe. Stay inside if you're in an Ariadne's crown disease hotspot. America. And wash your damn hands. Black lives matter. Trans rights are human rights. I'm Liv and I love this shit.
Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.